Hebrews chapter number 11. Um, be patient with us while we are adjusting to a new uh, sound system here in the building. The speakers that are sitting on the platform are still not plugged in yet. We're still working to, to make that happen. And uh, there's a lot, lot more to it than uh, getting these ones up here, up and running. But so uh, you all hear me a lot better than I'm able to hear myself through the PA system. But all the same, um, I, we're happy with the improvements. And the goal with this sound system is that it's almost as though you don't even notice it to be there, that it's a, a natural-sounding voice, and it's uh, whoever's back here speaking or singing that uh, you can comfortably hear them right where you are. So these two speakers here are replacing these four. These four aren't even on anymore, and uh, we're, uh, we're excited about the improvements. All right, let's see. Hebrews chapter 11 will be in verse 28 down through verse number 31. Really excited about the Bible study this evening. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're able to do so, please stand, and we'll be uh, reading these verses. Beginning in verse 28, the Bible says, Through faith he, Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they, the Israelites, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. We're looking at various examples of, of those who had faith in the Old Testament. And we started with Abel. We've worked all the way through Moses last week. This week, we're going to corporately look at the Israelites. So, faith's examples, the Israelites. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a Bible that is so relevant and helpful. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to uh, enjoy the Bible study this evening. And Lord, um, as we look to uh, increase our faith, may you show us areas where we can grow, where we can do better, and Lord, where our faith can be stronger. Lord, until you call us home to glory, there's always room to grow. And so, Lord, we, uh, we ask that you help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The Israelites get a bad rap, do they not? The Israelites are talked bad about on a regular basis, and with good reason. They murmured and complained, and the Lord would strike, corporately would strike many of them dead. He'd send fire in the camp. At one point, he opened up a hole and swallowed some of them into the ground, um, uh, he came down, Moses would come down off Mount Sinai and say, who is on the Lord's side? And 3,000 of the uh, Israelites who were in rebellion uh, would be killed. And uh, we know the story of judges, how they would um, do well for a little while, and then they would every man would do what was right in their own eyes, and then they'd be carried away into captivity, and, and then they would repent, and then the Lord would send them a judge that would uh, lead them into their freedom again. They'd stay good for a generation or two, and then right back into, uh, right back into their sin. And the cycle would, uh, 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 would just happen over and over and over again. And then you get into the kings. They wanted a king because they wanted to be like every other country. And all the other countries have a king. We want one too. And so they gave in, and Saul was chosen, and then David, and then... Solomon, and then the kingdom was split with Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and the uh, the nor ten northern tribes would not have one good king. Every single king would do that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. They would set up um, uh, they would set up idols for worship. 
uh, at, uh, in two different cities there and to keep the people from going back to Jerusalem. The two southern tribes would fare a little better and they'd have some kings do right, but they would see Saul back and forth between doing right and wrong. And the Lord had chosen the Israelites to be his people and they were, they were on board sometimes, but not on board all the time. It sort of sounds like my Christian life. Does that sound like your Christian life? On board sometimes, but not on board all the time. And I am so thankful that here in Hebrews chapter 11, God took a few verses to, to praise the Israelites for when their faith was strong. Um, when I get to the end of my life, or you get to the end of your life, and the story of your faith walk is written, there will probably be lapses in that story. Right? Some of them will be more public than others, but if God were to, if, if God were to have written down in a book that was a holy Bible for everyone to read of your private lapses, uh, boy, uh, those would be studied and picked apart in every way. Here in these verses, 28 through 31, um, we are told of the high points of the Israelites and their faith journey. Now, again, to set this in context, context is key. Context is key. Too many preachers for too long have preached truths or preached Bible verses out of context because they go into their study with something they want to preach and then they pull any verse out of context to back up what they want to say. We don't do that here at White Oak. At least we try not to do that here at White Oak. We want to preach the Bible exactly the way it's written. We don't want to twist the Bible to fit our agenda. We want, we want our preaching to back up the agenda of God's Word. And so what, what is the purpose, what is the context here of the book of Hebrews? Remember, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. Amen? It's written to the Jews. And the Jews had a struggle. And what was their struggle? They believed in the ceremonialism. Uh, they believed in the... Um, uh, they, they, they praised all of the extras, if you will. Uh, stay with me here. They, 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 they worshipped the, the sacraments. They, they enjoyed the, uh, the rituals of Judaism. And they couldn't get away from that and look at what all of it meant. Tonight we're going to look at some of what was worshipped here. And uh, uh, the author of Hebrews, ultimately God is trying to tell these Jews here in this New Testament era, He's trying to say, quit worshipping the shadows of Christ and realize those were shadows of Christ and worship the Christ, Jesus the Christ, and put your faith and trust in Him. So we're going to look at the Israelites this evening. We're going to notice four, um, let's see, four different stories if you will, four different pictures of faith. And what we'll notice through these four stories is a progression. Now, everyone in this room is somewhere on this journey. Uh, no one has ever totally arrived. Amen? We all realize there are areas where our faith is weaker than others. And I have noticed in my Christian life, even to this day, I could take out a piece of paper right now, or I could even audibly tell you, but I could write down the areas that God right now is testing my faith. Because He is. And you know what? That's one evidence that you're saved. If God is not currently testing your faith, 
in some area, either you are wayward from the Lord and you've gotten so far off track, or quite possibly you're not saved at all. God ought to be regularly testing your faith. Did He not do that to Abraham? Abraham had been saved, or rather been on his journey for for 55 years. 50 years. 45 years. Somewhere in that range. Isaac is now a young man in his 20s or 30s. And God wakes him up one day and says, take that boy and put a knife in his chest. You know what God was doing? Testing his faith. God never, ever, ever stops testing our faith. So somewhere tonight as we go over these, try to identify where you are on this faith journey as we look at faith in pictures. Number one of the uh, outline tonight, faith pictured in the Passover. Faith pictured in the Passover. Notice the word salvation. Look back at verse 28 of Hebrews chapter number 11. Through faith, he, speaking of Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the, uh, the, the firstborn should touch them. What is that about? Turn back in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 12. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 12, and let's read from verse 1 down through verse number 14. We're going to read quite a few verses here this evening, and so turn over there with me. Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 1. Now, um, before we uh, read these verses, we have the context of the New Testament when we go back and read the Old Testament. We know about Jesus. We know how He died. We know the shape of the cross. We know that He shed His blood. We know that Revelation calls Him the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. We can put a a visual, if you will, we can at least put an idea, a faith idea, to the concept of the Messiah. But for them, when this was written, Messiah was just this vague prophecy in the future. Now with that in mind, look at verse number 1 of uh, Exodus chapter 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So in this calendar, April would have been the first month of the year. Verse 2, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Think about how Jesus was sinless. A male of the first year, ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Notice the time that the lamb was to be killed. In the evening, Jesus was killed in the evening. Verse 7, And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread. Leaven being a picture of sin in the Bible. The bread was unleavened. And with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Why? The death of Christ was a bitter event. Verse 9, Eat not of it raw, nor sodden uh, at all with water, but roast with fire 
fire, his head with the legs, and with the uh, appurtenance thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Look at verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast or animal. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token unto the houses. Where are you? And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now, um, uh, Orthodox Jews still practice Passover um, in April on this date. They still practice Passover. Put that picture up there for me, Brother Joe. Again, faith pictured in the Passover. Here's a picture of a man who's killed a, a lamb. He's put the blood in a basin, and he's taken the hyssop weed. He's dipped it in that blood basin, and he is rubbing it on the doorposts of his home. What shape would that make? What shape would that be similar to? That would be similar to a cross. See what the Lord's doing here? He's saying that if that blood is applied to the doorpost, when that death angel passes by, he will see the blood and he will pass over you. One day the death angel is going to pass by each of us. I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about the second death. Listen in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. That spiritual separation from God, that eternal damnation, that death angel will pass by each of us. And if the blood of Jesus Christ has not been applied to your account, then you will suffer eternally in hell. But if that angel sees the blood, then he will pass over you. Aren't you glad the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to your account this evening? Amen? How does that happen? Well, it's very simple. It's faith. It's faith. You know, there were many Egyptians, I believe, there must have been many Egyptians that heard Moses say this, and they put the blood up on their doorpost because they had seen Moses prophesy nine times prior, and it had come true. But Pharaoh did not put the blood on his doorpost because his heart was hardened. His heart was hardened. I'll also say this. There may have been some Israelites living in the land of Goshen, their own little territory there, that maybe didn't put the blood up on the doorpost. Again, I'm speculating here. We don't know whether or not this happened, but there could have been some Israelites who were too lazy to do it or had one excuse or the other to do it or just shrugged their shoulders and said, I don't believe that the Lord would actually send an angel into my home. I don't believe the loving God would do that. And you know what? Their idea of who they thought God was didn't match up with the reality of who God was. And that night when the death angel came by, if the blood was not on the doorpost, the firstborn was killed. Can you imagine the horror of waking up to your firstborn being killed? Can you imagine waking up to holding that dead child in your arms and apply the blood and be saved? What did it take? It took faith. It took faith 
to go out there. It probably wasn't popular. And maybe even people made fun of you for putting gory blood up on your doorpost. People want to label Christianity as a bloody religion, but the blood of Jesus Christ brings us life. And when that blood is applied to our account, the death angel passes over us. Faith pictured in the Passover, if you're either here tonight or more yet, better yet, even watching online, and you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ alone and His sacrifice on the cross. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says this, Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. There is no escape from hell. Without shedding of blood, Jesus shed His blood for you and is the cleansing agent for our soul. All that is required is your faith. Faith pictured in the Passover Notice the word salvation. Let's look at the second picture out of Hebrews chapter 11. And notice faith pictured in the parting. The parting of the Red Sea. Faith pictured in the parting. And notice the word separation. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. And look at verse number 29. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 29. It says, By faith they, speaking of the Israelites, passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do, were drowned. Notice there the word separation. Um, uh, the, Egypt is a picture of sin oftentimes in the Bible. And here we have uh, the Israelites being permanently separated from sin or from the world rather. It's a picture of the world. They're being, they're, they're being separated from the world. Go back to Exodus chapter 14 and look with me at verse number 19. Exodus 14 and verse number 19. Again, we're going to read some scripture here. 19 down through verse number 31. So here the Israelites, uh, in the beginning of the chapter, you find that they're trapped between a rock and a hard place. Two rocks and the Red Sea. Uh, and they're stuck. They can't go anywhere. And they have the Egyptian army. Pharaoh's changed his mind. He has sent the Egyptian army after the Israelites. And they have the Israelites entrapped by the Red Sea. Look at verse 19. The angel of God, went, uh, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillars of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, uh, but it gave light by night to, to these, so that the, the one came not near the other all the night. So picture this. There's an angel who's leading the way, and a picture in a cloud, and, and that cloud leaves over the top of the Israelites and goes to the end of the Israelite camp and comes down as fire on the Egyptian side and is light to, to, to comfort the Israelites. And here you have God. He's scaring the enemy and He's comforting His people. Okay? Uh, let's keep reading. Look down at verse number 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the land, and the Lord rather, caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. 
And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off uh, their chariot wheels and they drave them heavily so uh, that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighting for them against the Egyptians. Verse 26, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the hosts of Pharaoh that came under the, uh, uh, into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians and the people feared or reverenced the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. What a story. Boy, this is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. In fact, if you said Pastor Lejeune, you could be transported back in time to just simply observe any story in the Bible uh, and you get to pick five. This would be somewhere on that top five. The dividing of the Red Sea. What an event. Now, um, let me show you. Uh, there's been a couple of proposed spots where the Israelites could have crossed. And the one that seems most likely is in an area called Nueva Beach. Throw that first picture up there for me. Nueva Beach. So that is an artist rendering there, uh, there toward the bottom. Let's see, I can't read. Camp at the Sea. Camp at the Sea. You see that big open space there? Uh, go to the next slide. Uh, you see here, this is a Google Earth view. Now, that's, that area in front of the uh, mountains is, let's see here, it's five miles long and three miles deep. Five miles long and three miles deep. The angel of the Lord led them here. They're trapped between the rocks. And, but there they could have put the entire Israeli, uh, all of the Israelites, all several million of them, could have fit right there on this beach. Furthermore, go to the next picture for me. Furthermore, there at Nueva Beach, uh, there is a land path that's just, and it's solid rock, it's solid rock that sits just below the surface, just a, a handful of feet below the surface. It would be six, maybe 10 to 15 feet below the surface. And if an east wind came in just right, it would blow the water off the path and keep it pinned on one side and have a wall on the other side. There's a natural land path there. By the way, uh, if you want more research on this or you want more on this, there's a, a video on YouTube entitled The Real Mount Sinai. It's about a 25-minute watch. It is fascinating. I'd really recommend 
You go watch it. He takes you to where he believes the real Mount Sinai is. He shows you the flint rock and uh, uh, rocks that have been smoothed out in the middle of the desert where gallons and gallons of water would have flowed. The mass burial ground where the 3,000 Israelites would have been killed for standing up against Moses. He has found that. uh, And it's all there on video. It's really fascinating. This is a screenshot from that YouTube video. Uh, 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 Go to the next picture. Archaeologists have gone under and have found coral reef that has worked itself around objects that have metal in them. And some of those have the form of a chariot wheel or uh, chariot pieces. Pretty fascinating. It's great to see physical representation of what the Bible says happened several thousand years ago. Now, let me get to the point here. Uh, you can go back to the, uh, the original uh, slide there, Joe. Let me get to the, uh, back to the point here. What was God trying to get the Israelites to do? Here they are on that beach. Moses holds out his rod and God sends this wind that separates the water. Now, the adventurous type, would man, they'd charge right across. How many of you be honest this evening and say, there would have been a slight hesitation in my heart about walking between those two walls of water? Can you see how it was a step of faith? Some of you here are like the skydiving, bungee, uh, bungee uh, jumping type. You'd have been like, oh man, I'd have been in there in a second. I wouldn't have hesitated. And I don't know where I would have been, probably depending on my age and time in life. Uh, but man, they walked through, all of them. I, I would have said, Moses, can you assure me that wind's going to stay there and hold that water? Can you assure me this isn't just some sort of weird phenomena that isn't going to end while I'm in the middle of this water? Boy, their faith... Uh, 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 was represented in salvation in the Passover, here in the parting of the Red Sea, and they're walking across, they're leaving behind Egypt. Christian, when you get saved, you go through the Red Sea of the blood of Christ, and you are to leave behind the world. You're to totally leave it behind. As if that wasn't enough... The Lord removed that fire that was holding up the Egyptian army from going anywhere. And they see the Israelites, scamper, the last few, scampering across the Red Sea. And the general of the Egyptian army says, If they can do it, so can we boys. Let's go get them. And God waits till the Egyptian army is right smack dab in the middle. And He ceases the wind. And that water comes over them and destroys their enemies. Now they no longer needed to look back over their shoulder in fear that these Egyptians were going to come after them because the Egyptian army had been totally decimated. You know, Christian, God calls us as Christians to separate from the world. Now, I've preached enough on separation. I'm not going to stay here real long. But uh, are you enamored with the sinful culture? Or are you more pushing away saying, no, I'm called to be a Christian? I'm called to be a Christian. Boy, it takes faith to leave the world behind. It takes faith to say, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. The, the words I used to say, uh, I don't say them anymore. The thoughts I used to think, I don't think them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. Uh, as the, the, the teen uh, church song goes, there's been a great change 
since I've been born again. We are to leave the world behind, and that takes faith to say, you know what, God, I'm going to step out by faith. That might mean I need to change my friends. That might mean I need to change my TV habits. That might mean I need to change my acquaintances. That might mean I need to change my language. But by God's grace and with His help, I'm going to take those steps of faith. I'm going to leave Egypt behind. Faith pictured in the parting. Number three, notice, faith pictured in their pacing. Now, fast forward 40 years. 40 years. The Israelites... In that 40-year time span, actually in just a few short months, I believe it was about nine months. My timeline might be off the hair, but in about nine months, they made it across the desert. They got to their promised land. They get to Kadesh Barnea. Uh, 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 they send in 12 spies. They bring back the, all the evidences of how great and rich the land is. They're there, and they say, we be not able. And God says, fine, if you don't trust me, uh, uh, to to give you the promised land, then you can wander around in the wilderness and all those 20 and younger uh, after you're dead. I'll let them go in. Now, this generation in, in, in the book of Joshua, this would be Israel's greatest generation they would ever have. Boy, you want to read about a group of people who were fierce. You want to read about a group of people who had faith. Read the book of Joshua. These people... This generation of Israelites, boy, they had it together. Look back with me at Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse number 30. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. The Bible says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Turn over to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6 and look at verse number 8. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of Ramshorn passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets. And uh, the re-reward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall ye shout. Uh, Some have said that uh, these verses that talk about how they weren't allowed to make any noise are proof that women didn't march around the wall. But I didn't say that. Someone else did. Amen. Look at verse 11. So the ark of the Lord uh, compassed the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. So again, here's what's happening. Uh, he is, they're camped outside of Jericho. Jericho is the first city they're going to conquer. And Joshua calls his commanding troops together. He calls his, his leaders of his, his generals together. And he says, alright boys, here is the battle plan. We're going to get in a straight line. We're going to send uh, the armed men first. We're going to have the seven priests in the back. They're going to have the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulder. And we're going to go up to the city wall. And we're going to march around it. And then we're going to come home. Right. That does not sound like a very good idea. You know, they can stand on top of the wall with bows and arrows and shoot down. What were they thinking? Now, uh, this shows the faith of this new, this new Israeli country because the parents wouldn't even cross the Jordan River and consider it. But now they're willing to say, yes, sir, or Yes, sir, whatever you say, that's what we'll 
do. And so without reading the rest of the passage, what did they do? They marched around the wall once for six days and went home. They didn't say a word. They didn't make a noise. After six days of marching around, on that seventh day, they marched around the wall seven times. And then the priests blew their trumpets and they shouted and the walls came tumbling down. The walls collapsed. The word I have in parentheses there is the word surrender. Why the word surrender? Do you know that before the Israelites could make it into the promised land and get the gift that God had for them, they had to lay down their wills and accept God's will. They had to do it God's way. Christian, it's not enough for you just to be saved. And it's not just enough for you to be separated. The question is, are you surrendered? Boy, I guess another S word we could have put in parentheses there is the word submissive. It's easy to be submissive when God tells us to do something we want to do. It's not so easy to be submissive when we have to do something that God tells us to do something we don't want to do. We don't want to do. The Spirit of God moves in your heart to either be proactive in doing something or to stop doing something. We say, yeah, but Lord, but, but Lord, I'd rather not. But Lord, not right now. Uh, but Lord, I'm enjoying this too much. Look, Canaan land for the Christian is the victorious Christian life. Again, Egypt is a picture of the world. The desert is a picture of carnality. The Red Sea is a picture of, um, of, of salvation crossing through that Red Sea, leaving Egypt behind, uh, leaving the world behind. And we walk through a time of, of growth and carnality. And it's not supposed to take us that long to get to it. And then we get to that Jordan River and we want to cross the Jordan River into that promised land and we cannot enjoy the victorious Christian life that God has for us until we fully surrender to God. We must fully surrender to God. Lord, not my will, as Jesus prayed in the garden, but Thy will be done. You show me the degree of surrender in your life, I'll show you the degree of victory in your life. You know, personally, personally, what I find in my life is I bounce back and forth between Canaan land and the desert. Canaan land and the desert. For a period of time, boy, I'm walking with the Lord and, and my walk with God is sweet and my prayer time is real and rich and, 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 and uh, I'm witnessing for the Lord and He's moving in my heart to go here, there, do this and that and I'm all on, I'm all on board and Lord, my, my walk with You is close and it's real and rich. And then I slip backwards and I'm not so willing to be submissive to what God wants. They're pacing. They walked around that wall. Did it make sense? Nope. Was it a good idea? Uh-uh. Not from a tactical standpoint, but faith obeys even when it doesn't understand. You know, that's worth writing down if you're taking notes. Faith obeys even when it doesn't understand. Sometimes the Lord tells me to do things I just don't get. Sometimes God tells me to do things I just don't really comprehend. But faith obeys even when it doesn't understand.
Where are you on this faith journey? Have you been saved? Well, that Passover was a picture of the death angel passing over us because the blood has been applied to our account. The blood of Jesus. The crossing through the Red Sea was leaving Egypt, leaving the world behind, that separating from the world. The entering into the promised land was a picture of their faith, their surrender. Lord, whatever you want, that's what we'll do. Let's look at the last picture here. This one's my favorite, favorite that we'll cover tonight. Faith pictured in Rahab's placement. And I have in parentheses the word storybook. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm fudging a little bit with the alliteration, I'll be honest. But I like the word storybook. Because Rahab's life became a storybook ending. A beautiful ending. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. The Bible says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not. With them that believed not... When she had received the spies with peace. Go with me to Joshua chapter 6. We'll read verse 22 through 25 in a minute. A few chapters earlier in the book of Joshua, Joshua sends in two spies to get the lay of the land of Jericho. And these two men have snuck into Jericho. They work for Israel's CIA, if you will. And um, the intelligence community is hot on their tracks. Jericho's intelligence community is hot on their tracks. So they're up on top of the wall, and the wall was there for protection uh, because you know, they didn't have helicopters and airplanes back then, so they would build a wall that would wrap all the way around the city, and they would limit the entry points that an enemy could come in, and that was their first line of defense. And generally on top of that wall, they would build houses on top of the wall. Rahab's house was on top of the wall. So these two men are being chased by the Jericho government, and they sneak into the easiest place they could get to, which was Rahab's house. Once they're inside, they realize that Rahab is a prostitute. They have entered into a whorehouse. Not the best place for them to be. And so here they are, and Rahab says, look, you're, you, you two are from uh, Israel, aren't you? And they say, well, yeah. They said, look, you, the, the reputation of your God proceeds you, and we are terrified of what He's going to do to us. She said, I will hide you from the men. And so she puts them up on the roof and um, hides them under some, some um, uh, roofing material there and uh, sends the uh, Jericho government away and brings the two men back in, and she says, I want to believe and your God. So she takes a scarlet rope, scarlet colored rope, and she dangles it out of the window, and the men climb down that rope. There she is, right? Or a, 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 an idea of her. They climb down the rope, and they leave. And here's what the spies tell her. They say, when the walls fall, if you are in your house, you'll live. God will not knock that portion of the wall down. And everyone inside of your home will live with you. Now, with that mind, in mind, look at Joshua chapter number 6. Look at verse 22. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman, and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in, and brought out Rahab, and her father, and her mother, and her brethren, and all that she had, and they uh, uh, brought out all her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire, 
and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron uh, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelt in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, um, uh, throw that next picture up there for me, Brother Joe. You see there the walls are collapsing, but her house stood. Now, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it's very similar. I, I think this story of Rahab is exactly what it's talking about. Being in Christ is pictured of those in Rahab's house were saved. If you put your faith in Christ, you're saved. And this woman had lived a very bad lifestyle. She had uh, uh, raised money and supported herself uh, through sinful ways, uh, used her sexuality in ways that were awful, and God was allowing her a fresh start. You may be here this evening, and you may have made some grave mistakes in your past. You say, can God really do something with me? He can. Now, Brother Joe, unfortunately, I didn't give you these verses for the screen, but that's okay. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We'll finish with this. Have you ever had to read through a, a list of genealogies and thought, oh man, here we go again. My Bible reading schedule today is three chapters of genealogies. What could I get out of this? I'm going to show you something really neat from the genealogies in Matthew chapter 1. This is, um, Matthew portrays Jesus as a king. Mark portrays Jesus, uh, let's see here, as a servant. Luke portrays Jesus as a man. And John portrays Jesus as God. So you have the king's servant, Matthew, Mark, and you have the, 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 the Jesus, the Messiah, who is 100% man and 100% God in Luke and John. So in Matthew chapter 1, we get Jesus' lineage from the kingly lineage. So most of the names here in this list, especially when you get into the middle of the chapter, are lists of those who were kings in uh, Judah. Look with me at verse number 5. And again, this is the list of the genealogy. And Salmon begat uh, Boaz uh, of, 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 of Rahab. Now, that's the New Testament spelling of Rahab. And Boaz is the New Testament spelling of Boaz. Some of you may recognize that name. Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. What happened to Rahab? Boy, she, she called on the name of the Lord. She put her faith and trust in the God of the Jews... They brought her into the fold. She married a man and would have a son named Boaz. Some of you know the story of Boaz, don't you? He is the kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. He is the one that would take Naomi's uh, a widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is a Moab, and, and Boaz would marry Ruth. Um, here's... Here's the redemption of this. Rahab, who was a harlot, would end up becoming the great-great-grandmother of King David and would be part of the lineage of Christ mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Ruth, Ruth, the the great-grandmother of King David, uh, was mother-in-law to Rahab. If that's not a storybook finish, then pray tell me what is. Why? 
Because Rahab walked by faith. Rahab walked by faith. When we walk a life, when we walk in our life by faith, again, it ebbs and flows, it's up and down. Sometimes we are doing well, we're walking with the Lord, things are going great. Other times we, are, we have faith lapses and we walk by sight and not by faith. When we walk by faith and we make it a faith journey, and when we get up and we dust ourselves off and we keep going, the Lord will take your mess and He'll turn it into a message. He'll take your mess and He'll turn it into a miracle. And my friend, it may not be as sensational as Rahab's story, but God can take your life, regardless of what's in your past, and He can turn it into a storybook finish, if you'll let Him. Are you walking by faith? Boy, the Israelites didn't get it right all the time, but here are four instances where they did. And look at the wonderful things that came out of that. When we walk by faith, boy, some great things happen. Faith leads us to salvation. Faith leads us to separation. Faith leads us to a heart of surrender. And when we let those three happen, boy, faith brings us to a storybook finish. And I know that's what I want. I want God to do something great with my life. Not so I can be something great, but so that I can accomplish great things for Him. I hope you want the same. Well, that's the Bible study tonight. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Let's